You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. It's great to talk with you again, even though this episode is a few days late because, you know, I was herping. And now, as I stated before, my goal is to have a show drop automatically every Sunday, and that worked well for episode three. And while I have shows in a can, I don't quite have the whole assembly process in place yet. That's one of the many things I'm working on. I need to thank so many of you for your support and comments about the show. I really appreciate it, and the feedback is extremely important to me. And some of you have asked about swag and merchandise, and I can tell you it's in the works, but I don't have a time frame just yet. And one more show note, Apple Podcasts has a show listed now as So Much. That's right, they've lost their pingle somewhere along the way. And if you search for So Much, the podcast comes up. So this week I've got to jump into the land of Apple and get them to fix that. Where was I herping? Well, I'm glad you asked. I drove my little Hyundai Tucson out east to the New Jersey Pine Barrens. Now that's a place I've wanted to visit for many, many years. A place of pilgrimage, really, for me and for anyone who has read Carl Caulfield's accounts of the Pine Barrens. It was a 12-hour drive, and car travel in our current COVID situation seems to be fairly safe these days. You put on a mask to go into the gas stations, and there's always the drive through available for foods. I also stayed in various hotels over the week, and they all seem to have their act together in terms of protecting guests. And I think that the small group that I was with did a pretty good job of staying away from potential problems. What did I see in my trip? Well, to start, I got four wood turtles, two in Pennsylvania and two in New Jersey. Now, these were my first woodies, and so I was really excited. And one of them uh, was found in a small village in New Jersey, crawling up an alley between two houses. Uh, it was incredible. It was a female, presumably on its way to lay some eggs somewhere, right in town. Uh, I love wood turtles. They're, they're tough, they're gnarly and smart, and they utilize a number of habitats, and they climb very well, too. I've you know, heard of wood turtles climbing fences. We got another cool turtle species along the coast, diamondback terrapins. We went out for them twice, and I got some great photos and video of them basking and swimming in estuaries. And on the second trip, we encountered a number of females crossing the road, uh, ostensibly heading for egg-laying spots. Another big find from the trip, northern pine snake. We found a young one hatched last summer, likely, uh, along a set of old railroad tracks in the Pine Barrens. Now that was a huge moment for me, and we walked many more miles looking for an adult. But the Pine Barrens does not give up her serpents lightly. You really have to work for them. What else? Uh, we got a beautiful Jersey corn snake, a coastal plain milk snake, if you believe in that sort of thing, dozens of pretty fowler's toads, an eastern hognose, and some timber rattlesnakes, some in Pennsylvania and some in New Jersey. And we spent a couple of evenings tracking down and photographing Pine Barrens tree frogs, which was another great experience. There's nothing I like better than wading through a pond in or a puddle in the dark of night and photographing frogs while they're calling. 
And I came back with nearly a thousand photos and video, and it may be a while before I get through all of them. I have to say, New Jersey was very surprising. There's a significant amount of land set aside in that state, and a lot of it is beautiful and just interesting. I particularly like the bogs we visited, and I'd love to go back and spend some more time there. And I recorded a couple of interviews on the trip, so that was icing on the cake. Okay, let's get to our interview. My guest on this week's show is Brian Hughes. That's Brian with a Y. And Brian and his wife Liz own and operate Rattlesnake Solutions in Phoenix, Arizona, and in Tucson as well. Now, Rattlesnake Solutions remove rattlers from homes and businesses and provide solutions, hence the name, to prevent further incursions by those pesky buzztails. Now, I know that many of you listeners don't view rattlesnakes as nuisance animals, but a lot of other people do, especially in rapidly expanding urban areas like Phoenix. And these rattlesnakes find themselves in small niches of habitat that are provided by urban dwellers, like cool, shady garages and planted yards that have a lot of cover and maybe some water and so forth. And chances are the outcome of human rattlesnake encounters in cities and suburbs do not end well for the snake. But a rattlesnake relocated by Brian and his company is more fortunate. It is removed from a place where long-term survival is unlikely, and it gets moved to more appropriate habitat somewhere else with better prospects, as we'll see as we get into the interview. And because Brian and Liz and their team care about the snakes, they gather lots of data, and they use it to give them a better place to live. And I was thinking about it for a minute while making the notes for this intro. And for the relocation part of their business, it's almost as if the primary clients are the rattlesnakes uh, rather than the humans who actually make the call. So Brian and Liz came to the Peruvian Amazon with our January expedition, and this interview was recorded there. I had heard with Brian in various places around the world prior to this, but I met Liz for the first time there, and we'll hear from her on a future episode. It was just great to hang out with both of them and get to know them a little better. And just prior to recording this intro, Brian posted on Facebook that he and Rattlesnake Solutions got a big plug on Snopes.com. There's a segment there called, Have Rattlesnakes Been Found in Pool Noodles? And you should really go and read that. And of course, Brian is the voice of reason in a topic laced with uh, rattlesnake eggs. Can you hear my quotes? And even a fake video. Well, I think it's fake. But well done, Brian. You did a great job of turning nope ropes into snope ropes. And it would have been fun to talk to you about that in our interview. Maybe we can do that sometime in the future. Oh, yeah. See the show notes for links to the Rattlesnake Solutions website. And there's also a Facebook page for the company. Because Brian and Liz are fun and creative people, they have some cool snake-related t-shirts there, including a new one that features night snakes. The underappreciated genus that is Hypsiglina finally gets some respect. Here's my interview with Brian Hughes. Hello, today we are talking with Brian Hughes, who, along with his wife, owns Rattlesnake Solutions in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, say hi, Brian. Hello, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Thank you for letting me into your, your wet tambo <laughs> here in yeah. Peru. <laughs> yeah. So we're using our mobile recording studio here in the rainforest and it's a a hot and muggy day after a long night of rain (laughs) so as we sit here and talk to you we're perspiring into our microphones (laughs) so tell me um how do you end up at rattlesnake solutions Uh, what's your what's your background 
Um, I actually went to school for design and communications. So I spent um, most of my, well, 20 years or so doing marketing related work and uh, branding, public relations type stuff, um, and hurt, you know. So it actually worked out really good because the um, the thing that I would, would do as a marketer or as working in branding, it was creating businesses and being able to evaluate what a you know business that would work or or not. And um, I live in Phoenix. It's expanding. It's the fastest growing area in the country right now. And it seemed like a real easy, you know, there's a market there for that kind of thing. I worked with the AHA too, the Arizona Herpetological Association. I did volunteer relocations back when they were doing it for free. Um, the city was half the size it is right now during the time and gas was a buck fifty a gallon. So things change. We do charge for it now and, and but eventually right. it turned into something that I could quit my quit my career and 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 change and do this full time. And so we should let's talk a little bit more about what Rattlesnake Solutions does because yeah. I know it's not uh, you're the guys you uh, someone can call and they can come and safely remove a rattlesnake from yep. your their property, but uh, you also do some other things as well. And I should add that your your yep. your wife Elizabeth or Liz is uh, involved with this. Yeah, too, she she so. quit her job last this is last year too, and she works with me full time. Um, so we do rattlesnake mitigation in Phoenix, and that means a lot of things. Uh, a lot of that and how it started is doing relocations of snakes, um, which is very tricky work and also fairly controversial in some ways. To speak, you know, I think everyone has heard the relocation as a death sentence kind of thing, which right. it's, it's not true. It's it depends on how you're interpreting a lot of that, or if you read the the full literature on it instead of just a paper on it. But we we do a lot of work with that, and we do prevention. We do a lot of prevention work, which is really the the work we we prefer to do. Because um, just kind of start stop the problem before it starts. So we install right. rattlesnake fencing, um, and we can just go there as someone that you know. If, we, if you herp, you know how to find habitat. You can go to someone's yard and interpret their yard, um, and basically tell, hey, get rid of the wood pile, get rid of the you know, you got a stack of tin back here, <laughs> get rid of all <laughs> that stuff. Yeah, so that those are fun too, where you just go and herp someone's yard and tell them, you know, you, you learn what rattlesnake poop looks like versus some other poop. You can tell them. What's there in a SWAT? And, and interesting, you learn that there's this whole ecology that happens in these urban settings that is a little different than um, out in the field. So you learn those things. Um, and we're probably going to do some other things eventually, too. But really, this trying to solve this whole rattlesnake conflict thing in Phoenix. So you're plugging holes and fences and yep. driveway entrances and... Physical uh, barriers. Physical barriers. Mm -hmm. uh, also preventing the snakes from entering people's homes. So you've taken some rattlesnakes out of some crazy places. Can you tell, give me an yeah. example of a... Um, of inside homes is always a thing. It, it doesn't happen a whole lot. Like rattlesnakes inside of a person's house happens around 1 in 400 of the calls that we get. So it's not something that happens. Oh, really? But, but every time it's interesting because it's... Uh, you know, it's a shock. <laughs> they they think it's something else very often. I think the last one that happened was a um, it was a they thought there was like a electrical problem or something under the dresser, and they looked and there's a three and a half foot Western Diamondback under there, and it had probably been in the room since you know we're doing this in January right now. Um, that was a few weeks ago, so that means that that snake had been in that room somewhere brumating since October, most likely, <laughs> and just emerged God. because we had a, a good rain that day, so they all come up. So wow. 
things yeah. like that were so they get into a when they do get into a house right away they've got air conditioning to deal with so they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna go for somewhere warm is is that right they're gonna no they well they they go behind the refrigerator yeah or, they're they're or? they're brooming still I think there's a okay. there's a, a paper that uh, Erica Nowak put out that actually was really critical in my my ability to find diamondback dens now which is that in the low desert they don't it's not the south facing slope it's not maximum exposure it's more about humidity and the solar ah. insulation they'll avoid it so i was spending all this time looking on south facing hills and then as soon as i went to the same hills and checked the north side there were all the snakes interesting so you can't you know it doesn't rain a whole lot in phoenix in the winter either and the things you can't do is move around because it's cold so they have the <laughs> right. water once they go in they have the water they have um, so they'll actually apparently tend to, to favor a little cooler te- temperatures that keeps from uh, keeps metabolism from de- desiccating and yeah yeah I see. But under homes we get dens in there. Garages, garages yeah. are very popular uh, den sites for you know onesies, twosies, mm-hmm. uh, and estivation sites. Estivation is is a, a as strong of a, a, a life cycle in in Phoenix as you you know looking for a den for hortus. In the yes. east, where it's all just hinged on that that critical period of survival. Cool, cool. Okay, uh, and so on the other side of the of, of that, with the snakes that uh, you you do remove, and you've got to relocate mm-hmm. them. So you're not just dumping them anywhere convenient. You're yeah. You're taking time and effort to make sure the snakes have a shot at at uh, survival. Right? That is the that's the critical work, and okay. it's tricky because you know I. I advocate for relocation of snakes that if if they're going to be killed, right? right. Um, and there is plenty of research out there that shows that snakes that are relocated um, could, tend to do pretty poorly. Um, but there's also a lot of work that has been done with short distance translocations with the snakes. They do just fine. Uh, I think one from Jeff Brown that I saw, they lost no animals. Um, and there's some other good work, uh, Emily Taylor, did with the stress response of northern Pacific rattlesnakes that I, I draw from quite a bit too, where the, it wasn't about relocating snakes, but as part of their work of checking stress, they're moving them around a lot. So there's there's a lot of, of good research out there that shows that if you move them properly, pay attention to um, seasonally appropriate microhabitat um, and basically manage the stress, manage the temperatures, put them into places where you would find snakes naturally in that time you can modify a home range. You don't take them out of their home range. You can assume their home range based on features, drainages, the ridge lines, and move them to another place within it. And very often they, they stay there, they adopt it. And then right. you'd work with the homeowner to say, okay, this garden's gotta go. The second rattlesnake you got here, it's here, it's a hunting place. So if you move them, get rid of that thing, now that snake's home range is effectively modified and the snake is still where it's at. And um, So know. I guess if you, think about home ranges it's it's just not the square acre that they tromp around on it it yeah. is the amount of space that provides the necessary types of microhabitats that they need to survive for yeah. estivation feeding and uh, drinking water and so mm-hmm. on and so forth shade a series of small spots right they're looking for so. and that's the only reason that they're a house too but there's there's other stuff too there's there's a lot of snakes that we see that are their development um, driven to where they, they, you know, there's a new block of houses coming up. So those snakes end up in a panic somewhere and you, we, you can tell a snake that's, that doesn't want to be there. If there's an adult diamondback and it's 110 degrees outside and it's noon and it's tucked up into the last little bit of shade against a house, just breathing heavy 
you know, that's, that's not a snake that chose that site. Right. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of relocations that are done by, I, you know, I, I assume uh, a lot of, a lot of, you know, probably myself 20 years ago when I didn't really know what I was doing and just kind of taking a snake and, and going from the, you know, just as close as possible kind of thing and without right. paying attention to the habitat that, that could be creating those. Um, I know that's certainly the case with the fire departments, the fire departments in Phoenix and Tucson, they'll do relocations and they just take it and they chuck it over the fence. So now you have a snake that was in a backyard hiding and it's middle of the day and so they crush its ribs and throw it 40 feet from the air and throw it on the ground that's 150 degrees and you know by the old uh saying of you know short as possible the only looking at distance as a criteria that snake should thrive you know but it's it's dead and yes. I, I routinely find dead snakes that are botched relocations uh, from people that are not you need to know about the snakes you can't do the work if you don't know at least some natural history of these animals so I, I assume then with the homeowners that, that you help, mm -hmm. you're getting this spectrum of attitudes and a certain state of mind when it yep. comes, you're probably getting some that are, get this out no matter what. Mm -hmm. And probably some people these days are perhaps a little more, yeah, I can't have it here, but you know, can you make sure it, it's going to be okay? Do you get we do. that kind of uh, We get a lot of that. Um, like that. Honestly, the people that seem to be best with it are people that are not from Arizona. Oh. Um, and I, I was surprised by that. But I think there's killing snakes and hating snakes. Is it's, a, it's not about the animals. It's a culture thing. It's a cultural identity thing. You were raised in Arizona. My grand, grandpa killed every snake I saw. My dad did. I was raised that way. Right. And if you are, you're threatening that critical part of that, you know, it's like, uh, eating crawfish if you live in the south or something yeah. like that. It's kill, killing snakes if you live in Arizona or Texas. So, so that's when when you try to, you can't tell someone like that and just give them some interesting snake facts and make them change their, their life. You need to give them an alternative story or spin their identity in a way. It's right. it's what I was doing before. It's marketing. Yeah. It's, it's finding a, you're manipulating people by using uh, you know, it's more of a human dimensions thing than uh, an ecology thing. Facts tend to bounce off people. Don't they, they do. Yeah, they do. They can be resistant to facts. I'm thinking about how, you know, I'm big on process. So I'm thinking, mm -hmm. how does Brian, how does Brian do this? Uh, you have people working for you that obviously are engaged in this. So mm -hmm. everybody has to kind of go through like a, a training. You got, they've got to learn yep. what, what are the right things to say in different situations? Yeah, when that's so. it's ongoing. We use mm -hmm. we use a lot of we don't have a central office. It's all we use Slack and um, I built an app that is kind of it's kind of Uberish, I guess, to mm -hmm. where you know it's the valley takes two hours to drive across. The effective time to be able to catch a snake um, is about a half hour. Oh. So we have people all over the valley, and then if a call comes in, um, it goes into uh, a, a queue that goes out to people, and then whoever's closest dispatches it to the next person. So it's a nice. network. And it works out good because, yeah, you might miss this call because you're passing off to this guy, but you're going to get the next one. You don't want to be caught on yeah. the other side of town if a snake is in your area because then you miss it. Right. So, so it, it all averages out. Yep. Right. And uh, on a busy day in the spring, late April, when we're really busy, we'll have uh, five or six people driving as fast as around the valley as fast as they can all day. Wow. And it gets, it gets busy. So. Wow. so how many people you, you have? full-time employees but i assume mm -hmm. people work for you on a contract basis or something we like do that? so the we have full-time employees um that are just regular employees that work they're our fencing crew our installers uh, we have a foreman uh, of a business partner that he helps design all that stuff 
Um, so the different roles, one guy, he's in charge of, um, his name's Eric. He does, he designs the system of how to keep these guys out, physical barriers, all these little weird things that you run into of, of how a wall gap should fit and how it needs to last. And, um, he does that. And then we have another guy named Nick that facilitates that through our, our crew. I see. So it's all custom bespoke. It is. Yeah. Uh, one yard at a time, one it house is. at a time. It is. And we go, and Jill, who's here too, she's, uh, she works in sales. So she goes out to the yard and her knowledge of snakes and having done relocation work is very critical there. Uh, we've learned the hard way that even the people that are installing this stuff, you can't just hire any guy. You need someone that knows snakes because right. it's a thousand small subjective things where you're looking at this, hmm, can a neonate Aatrox get through this crack? Ah. And if you just hire a guy, they, you know, we, and we've learned it the hard way. We have people that are, they were, they were great. Um, but it's just those little decisions, right? You know, so we and they may sure have to order. talk to the homeowner too, right? They, they do. Somebody will come out while they're working on it and and bombard them with more questions or something. Yep. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that. So that's ongoing. Everyone, you know, part of our training is to go herping with me. <laughs> so if you <laughs> if you didn't like snakes before, you're you're awesome. gonna one way or another. And we wow. go do some easy stuff, but it's just kind of fun to you know. Yeah. And it keep it keeps you um, you know if someone doesn't come to this world from herping. It is good to look at, you know, to get struck at by a Mojave every once so often, so you you understand the gravity of, of what we're doing. Yes. You know. Yes. So, and we have we have a lot of contractors too. All the relocation people are um, they're contractors because it's seasonal. You can come and go. It's a great second job, is the way I tell yeah. people. Yeah. It's kind of like Uber, only you're picking yeah. up rattlesnakes. <laughs> yeah. And it works out works out pretty good. You know, if someone runs a call, they make they make uh, an average sixty to eighty dollars to oh to, you know catch a snake. Okay. So. so I'm guessing you don't have a shortage of willing people who maybe know their stuff or are willing to learn what, what it is to. We do. We get takes. a lot. We get flooded. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I prefer people that are not herpers and it's not cause I don't like herpers. It's because there's, it's easier to train someone that's never handled a rattlesnake before than to untrain somebody that has 20 years of bad habits. Ah, uh, yeah. And, um, it's not field herping. There's no, it's, it's like wearing a, a hard hat on a construction site. There's no messing around. There's no tailing anything. It's, no. we use tongs that are, people are trained in how to do it so they don't hurt the snakes. But it's, if you do it right, it should be very boring and very clinical. And you get the snake in the bucket as, as fast as you can and get it out to the habitat as fast as you can. Right. So the actual capture and transfer is like 15, 20 seconds. <laughs> the capture not is talking easy about part. much, right? Yeah, yeah. The capture is easy part. Identifying the right place to put it is hard. Um, and sometimes, you know, yeah, you have some of your folks call in and say, Hey, uh, yep. give me some, give me some pointers. They can always call, call me and a couple of the other guys and we'll pull up Google earth and, and find some spots. Some of wow. the areas are, are pre-surveyed. Um, we, we don't want to release anything in the same area. Like we don't want to find, cause it's really easy to slip into that. Um, to where you just, Oh, I know there's a cave over here. I can just put snakes in it. You know, okay. we, we try, you try to distribute them and everyone is different. You don't have designated drop-off points, which is it's tough because if you catch a snake on one side of, you know, backyard and there's a gated community there and it's 110 degrees, I need to sometimes park on the other side of the mountain and, and hoof it in. Oh, so, wow. um, we, I carry, uh, ice packs and there's a, there's right. a lot to it to get the snake in the right okay. spot. So this is, this is a, a different planet from pitching it over the fence. Yes. Like yeah, the absolutely. fire department. And okay. we make sure, you know, we some rules are you, the snake has to be completely, you don't just put it in a bush. You find caves, uh, drainages. You have to understand how waterways work in, in Arizona. 
um, okay. because those are such critical. And that's what a lot of the training is, is just ongoing discussion of natural history per species, per season. You know, somebody play someplace you put a snake in January will kill it in June and vice versa. And you have gotcha. to know the difference. And so you probably get out there sometimes and it's a gopher snake or maybe a night mm-hmm. snake or uh, very often like that. And, uh, very often. What happens then? I mean, I mean, obviously you're going to relocate those animals. We do. Um, we try not to. Um, you know, they're, do they're you educate. We do tell the homeowner. We, um, if we, if we feel that they're, they're describing a snake that is not, you know, there's a line of questions when someone calls in. Ah. First thing we want to do is what is it? Where is it? And what's it doing? Whether, you know, if a rattlesnake is crawling or if it's just sitting there sleeping or if it's rattling at you, you know, everything from like your response time, you know, all that stuff. So if we, if we know that it's a harmless snake, um, we will always tell the person that we are very, very careful. We never want to use fear as a, as a, a tool for us to make money. It's, is absolutely won't. Well, I commend you for that because, you know, you look at the side of certain insect companies and you yeah. know, the, 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 the specter of horrible giant insects coming yep. into your home is, is, uh, if, it, it freaks me out because the, the cookie jar is wide open. If you wanted to be a jerk about things, yeah. it's right there. You know, it'd yeah. be, it's an easy thing, but they, they, they identify it. And if it's a gopher snake or something, we, we always tell them, Hey, it's a harmless thing. Can't hurt you or your pets or your kids. Um, it'll go away. You probably never see it again. And it's actually, you know, give them the spiel. And if they, if we get a yeah, but. We don't fight with them on it. If we feel, if, if they give you the, the yeah, but after that, that means if you don't get it, um, they're going to kill it or they're going to call someone else to come and get it. So it might as be, well be you because, you know, we, we're going to tr- at least treat it well. Yeah. You know, so we'll do that. And then there's some other service there too, is we can go there and, okay, you had the snake in your yard. It's because of your bird bath. If you don't want snakes in your yard, you can do this, this, and this, and this, and you mm-hmm. don't see it again. So there's, even if we'll show up and there's no snake, which happens often enough, the snake mm. is left right. by the time we get there, they still get a lot of value out of that because um, you know, catching the snake is not the, that's not really what we, that's that's the symptom. The snake is not the problem. The problem yes. is their wood pile. The problem is they have access under their house. The snake is the thing that alerts them to that. And we treat it that way. Do you ever get people that sort of um, talk to them a bit and you tell them the you know the mitigation techniques and then they maybe think about it a little bit and then maybe decide that that they really don't have a problem with gopher snakes in their yard or occasionally 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 yeah. there's some people that um that do um and again it's mostly people from not in arizona there's lots of people wow. that come out here and they just don't know what they're looking at and it makes sense and if you see it if there's a gopher snake and it's rattling its tail and hissing and striking yes. if you just moved here from new jersey yeah, that's it's totally justifiable that you think that that's a rattlesnake, and and it's understandable that people have fear of these mm. things, you know. So let me go back a little bit to the the relocation uh, issue. Do you have data, or is there a way for you to get data on how those snakes are doing, or do you just feel that it's a better, based on re- research of others, that it's the best possible outcome? It's both. So you there, get there some feedback somehow. There, we don't have that yet. We're, we're actually working on that. Um, and I, oh. I'll describe that in a little bit. Um, but there's, there are um, several short distance relocation studies that show that they do find zero mortality on them. In some cases, the snakes lose weight or gain weight because they, they're actually put into a better spot that they, right. so, and a lot of this, it's hidden in other papers too, where they're moving snakes around. Stress response stuff is, is our go-tos. Um, and then from our work, we have, a long list of anecdotes that 
uh, backs up what we're doing with the according to that that research. Okay. So and some of it's very interesting. There was a, a, a very gravid speckled rattlesnake I relocated this year. Could not go back to where it came from, so I chose an appropriate spot in another part of it, it outside of its home range, and then put a chip in it. And then the last, the next time I saw it, which is a couple months later, it had given birth um, and regained that weight and was it was wow. doing good, and it was living in the same hole that I put it in. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Oh, so there's a wow. lot of, I mean, that you can't you can't draw any grand conclusions over that, but I've got a lot of those, and they the transmitter research that's been done that um, says that this really does work it, it's right in line with that so we're we're looking forward to um to contributing to that too so do you have perhaps uh, some publishing you might be doing on this subject? we will uh, we did publish we, i co-authored a paper in 2017 that shows how rattlesnakes as a, a nuisance animal um, can help you it, it's a habitat loss throughout the city and you can show where things pop up and hot spots where there's a lot of conflict and ones where they're stable. So we have we have a ton of data. Uh, as far as we can tell, we have the largest collection of this type of data in the world. We have 8,000 records of a snake in someone's yard and what happens with it. Wow. So, and I, I, you know, sometimes when I, I think about what it is you do and I think, do I know anybody else who handles more rattlesnakes on a daily, weekly, monthly basis than Brian and... I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe one of those timber researchers we out do east. A lot. But uh, you, you certainly have the opportunity to to grab a, a yeah. bunch of data. Um, so part of what we're we're doing is so Rich Laguerre, who's here, yes. um, we are we're working with the uh, Game and Fish Department in Arizona and the City of Phoenix in the parks. So one thing that popped up in that that paper in 2017 about where you know where snakes are in conflict is that there's a there's a great system parks right in the middle of phoenix that is completely stable there's no new development there the houses were all built in the 70s and 80s everything there is it's a stable environment to see what how these snakes are living in the city and what happens if you move them right so we're in the second year of that we're just starting our third um, assuming my permits got approved, it's probably my inbox that I can't check right now. But, <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're, we're mapping out that microhabitat, which is a lot of stuff that is, is very well known, but a lot of stuff that's not that well known. What, what do speckled rattlesnakes do in, at noon in June? And it turns out they're very easy to find that way because they, it's like finding denning timbers. You can, mm -hmm. you can do it from a satellite photo. You can go, there's probably there, they're probably there. And you go there and there they are and they use it all the time. Yes. So we are, we're doing a, a market capture survey for uh, we're trying to do it for four years to just find all the snakes, find out what they're doing throughout the year and have a map of this whole mountain range of, okay, here's every place that they estimate and here's what's going on there. And once we have that, then we're going to start throwing relocation experiments at it. Take a snake from here, chip it, put it over here, see what it does, and basically test a lot of the methods that, that are adaptations of previously done work. And then from there, come up with a recommendation for game and fish to change the the policy so it's not just distance which it is right now um, it's distance plus you have to go through some kind of training so it can identify the proper microhabitat sure. and at least be able to identify the snake and get its basic needs down hmm. perhaps uh, they can come to you for that for yeah that training 
It, yeah, that's and that's you know that's one of the things we are a private business, so that's some of the tricky stuff is that there's right. a lot of there's a lot of obvious conflicts of interest that people will, will see. So things like that, I'm I'm going to not volunteer ourselves for that. I'm going to recommend other groups that ah, that can okay. do that training. You know, the fire department. It's not that I don't like firefighters. I don't like firefighters that you know they're tasked. It's not their fault. Right. It's they're tasked with catching snakes. Sure. They don't want to do it. It's sort of the same mindset that you know. Uh, your house is on fire. Your door is going down. Your picture window is getting broken. Yeah. That's yeah. just, you know, fix it. Yeah. You know, the idea is to fix the problem and we'll fix that door later. So it's yeah. the same. Yeah. That's their mindset, right? Mm-hmm. So just, you, you can't expect them to come in there and be savvy, you know. Yeah. Well, that's savvy that's unreasonable expectation. Hey, firefighter, here's, you know, read all this literature about, about a tiger rattlesnake. So you know which <laughs> hole to put it in. They got yeah. stuff to do, you know. Yeah. So it would be helpful if they did, but that's not what. You know. And you know, just just a, a little bit like our 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 initial training is not that long. It's it's how to handle, and then um, it's about an hour presentation, and then a lot of we go to we go herping, and for maybe six hours, I just explain it, and from there you have enough to be able to do job effectively, or at least much better than is currently done as a practice three location. Sure. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that we are able to, first off, prove that everything we're doing is working as we expect it to. And Arizona Game and Fish Department is very receptive to to this whole thing, which is great. They're collaborating with Rich and I on our project, and we're really looking forward to uh, changing that, that law, making it a little better, a little more exact than cool. just distance. Cool. So is there anything else about this business and the pro- the associated projects that uh, you'd like to tell us about. One thing that I am uh, I'm surprised advocate of, but I think everyone should consider this is that we are, we are a private business and it's much easier to do certain things as a private business than a nonprofit. And when we're getting equipment and you know we our project that we have is funded by by the relocations that we do and the business functions of it. My accountant thinks we're an idiot because it just money just goes, it's spent, but we don't have to go after grants. We don't have to ask for donations. Um, we can work on common animals and common places, which are, are not often looked at and we can just do it because we're interested in it. And I think that there's, there's probably something here to where, you know, if I, if I studied insects, I would be selling the best honey you can make. And that's how I would fund my research. So I, I, awesome. I think everybody should take a business class. If you're, if you spend half your time trying to get grants, spend some of the time getting a business class and see if you can see if you can generate your own money. And I think that there's probably a lot of opportunity there. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm taking, I'm, I'm checking that box in my head Yeah. <laughs> for my new podcasting career. <laughs> Okay, I see that perhaps this big block of data that you're carefully pulling out of all of this may end up helping these uh, nonprofit groups or, or research groups that are doing relocation studies and things. And, yeah, well, if know. anyone wants it, I mean, I, if anyone wants a big block of data, let me know. Um, I just okay. gave a bunch of it to uh, to ASU. Um, I've I've given certain collections to it. Uh, a couple of our guys on our our team. Um, just play with it so they can work on get practice with GIS and yeah. all that. So yeah. if anyone wants to, well, it's fun, right? It's fun and cool. It is. Cause yeah. you can just throw it in there and all these cool maps emerge, you know? Yeah. So if anybody's working on something with the, or just wants to play with it, uh, be very happy to give anybody a big block of our data and, and uh, see if any cool trends emerge. Okay, cool. So I'll, I'll put your, uh, you know, your business link and all that in our okay, show cool. notes so that maybe folks can contact you about that. Yeah, sure. 
So what else did we talk about? I mean, how did you how did you get into the whole herp thing anyway? You know, just herps in general. Is that uh, from childhood or? Yeah, I mean, it's probably the same initial story arc as most people. Dinosaurs, ran out of dinosaur books, go for the reptile books, find them in your backyard, all that stuff. And then I didn't herp at all during high school. I didn't know you could, honestly. It was just something that went into the closet with the Legos, you know. And But whenever we go camping, I'm not flipping. I'm herping. I didn't know it was called herping. Sure. You know, I didn't know any other herpers. It was just me looking for snakes. When I was in Phoenix and I was 20, I was driving to work at my design job. And, and uh, I go out in the morning, there's a diamondback next to my car. I'm like, oh, cool. But I have to go to work. So I went to work <laughs> and I didn't get any work done. I went online and I was reading about, well, first, where do you buy a snake hook and all that stuff. Uh. And... um and then on the way home, you know, I got picked it up and I got all ready. I was going to catch this diamondback that's in my garage. Tore the whole garage apart. No diamondback, but I found a night snake. I don't even know what this thing is. And that's the that's what set it off because I started, I called the, the Arizona Herpetological Association. And then I learned that this little weird hobby I have of catching snakes, there's a bunch of adults that do it and they all talk to each other. And it's a thing you can do. So that it's it went quickly from there. And that was 20 years ago. Cool. That's sort of a... A common origin story, isn't it? I I, so. I'm doing this, but I, I don't know what it's called, and I don't know anybody else who yeah. does it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great to, to meet some other people, too. You learn um, how wrong you are about a lot of stuff real fast and in the ethics of it, which yes. you don't, you don't, you cannot learn that in a vacuum. It would take a very no. long time. But if no. you, you know, anybody, I, I, that's the, I would recommend the book you wrote to anybody because that's, that's such a shortcut. You know, to all the mistakes, all the things you think of you did when you're like, oh man, I probably killed that snake because I put it in the wrong spot. You know, I mean, right. if anyone's new at herping, if someone seems like they're being mean, listen to them because <laughs> they were you, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm old enough that most of my mistakes were made before the internet. So, yeah, <laughs> no one will know. <laughs> no one will know. But these days, you know, errors can be very glaring. You know? They can. Well, and, everything's uh, published in real time. Yeah. So, and it's kind of hard to bounce back from that. Most of us uh, who've been there, you know, we'll give you a hand up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some people are, kind of, you know, can be cruel about it and you yeah. know, take you down. So but that's that's human nature. So. I've always I've always thought that, that that might be part of this is that so many people start doing this alone, and then once you're suddenly in a group, it's it's kind of hard to share this thing that's been this special part of you. you yeah, know, like if when you're in high school, you know, you're the guy that does that stuff, but then suddenly you're just you're a low herper on the totem pole. You're not special <laughs> anymore. Who cares? Yeah. So some yeah. people probably handle that well and some probably don't. Yeah, and that's that's kind of funny because it's it's kind of like when the you know the gifted athlete from the small <laughs> school goes off to college and you just you know somebody just on guy. the second yeah. string you know yeah big big shock. So, mm-hmm. so you and I uh, just a disclaimer too. You and I have traveled a bit around, uh, knocked around a few foreign countries together with a, a gang of folks that we've we've uh, done some herping together. Mm-hmm. I assume you you digging that and you're ready to do some more of that. Yeah, it's addicting when you, the world seems a little, we went to, to Asia this summer and that's, you know, it's literally on the other side of the planet and that wasn't so bad to go there. So it just makes the whole world shrink of, yeah of how doable all these destinations are. As long right. as there's no one there that wants to kill you, it's fine. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot yeah. to do. It, it, the world, everything just got much more fun in the last couple of years. And so when you came down here you know, to the Amazon, um, you find yourself comparing it to like, you know. Yeah, Vietnam, you have to. And it's, places like that. I'm glad that we did them back to back because um, just the, the the level of convergence is is incredible. To to where every little plant and niche that was filled there has a counterpart here, 
that looks the same. <laughs> yeah. And you can't help but comparing. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. It's just body to... styles that work. And it's, there's nothing here that's remotely related to anything there. And it's just so cool how, how like absolute that is, you know? And it's, I gotta, I gotta do something with all this, this, uh, sweat proof gear that I have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like you can't, you know, diamondbacks are cool, but. So yeah, like there's all this stuff that you see, like, and I mean, like, we haven't seen one yet on this trip. I just, I love to see just boas, you know. I mean, that's the that everyone had, yeah, had one as a pet, but just to see it in the wild trying to bite you is way cooler, you know. Like we, you and I found that uh, we, well, the Burmese python in, in Thailand. Yeah. That was your first. You didn't yes. go to see the Florida one, yeah. And um, you know, that's the coolest. I've seen lots of Burmese pythons and all over the place, but yeah, that was the coolest Burmese python I've ever seen. Right, and it was yeah. a little brown snake. Yeah. Now yeah. I feel like I can go back to the Everglades. You can. You can go look at it and, <laughs> and, and shake go, your oh, head at them. <laughs> I've already seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and uh, it, as far as future trips, so just anywhere tropical? And um, more Mexico. More Mexico. Um, I would really like to go to Europe. There's a lot of cool stuff there. Yeah. I think it's probably, it's probably not underherped because there's so many people there, but there's so many cool things that like. If, of all the places that someone posts something, like I, I've never heard of that. And that's the coolest looking little viper. A lot of that's out of Europe. Yeah. Um, really, and I always yeah. wonder, you know, I mean, Europe is, you know, so many people living there in Europe mm-hmm. and transforming, transforming the landscape for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And there's still these things that persist, you know. Yeah. That, that's there's interesting. Probably a lot of lessons there. Probably a lot of lessons there for the, the type of work that I do, mm. too. You know, give it give it 100 years and, you know, all the all the diamondbacks that plague the, the newcomers to Phoenix are going to be existing in little islands. Oh, yeah. So that's, you know, that's kind of like, I'm, I'm aware of that when we're doing the work too. They just put a freeway around the the South. There's a mountain in Phoenix called South mountain that was previously just open to the, uh, to the desert. Now there's a freeway around it and there's this very predictable order of extirpation of the rattlesnake species that, and it's starting to, so what goes uh, first, maybe the sidewinders, the sidewinders, Sidewinders. Um, things that are non-centralized. So it could be, yeah, things that, you know, this is all an anecdote, but the things that are According to our data from uh, relocations, the more centralized an animal is, the sp- the smaller its home range, the less likely does it get killed. So tiger rattlesnakes are the the last to go most of the time because they they can do very well just kind of living in one little small area. Okay. Uh, and then speckled diamondbacks, um, and then blacktails tend to do pretty well, but they exist in low numbers. I love this in okay. everything except for South Mountain. When they put the highway in, they didn't bother to do any wildlife corridor work, or they kind they kind of did, kind of. But they so the lip whole, service to that, or they 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 moved eight snakes during that time and two years of heavy blasting through the South Mountain. So <laughs> so no, yeah, yeah. they didn't. Okay. <laughs> um, but there's some people that tried. They moved some chuck walls and some game of fish. Did a great job with that. Yeah, so once that's clicked off, so there's always been six species of rattlesnakes you can find in Phoenix City limits. I would expect within five years that number is going to drop to five and then to four shortly after mm. as, uh, sidewinders and Mojaves are no longer found in the, the flats oh. south of South oh, Mountain. that's a shame. It is. That's yeah. a shame. Um, and it's people don't even know what's, what's gone. Well, in their right? perspective, it's good. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah. yeah. But I like to think that there's more people that are... Like okay, cool. We're living in you know rattlesnakes out here. That's cool. I think that's the way to do it. I think you can't. I, I'm glad that I came at this whole thing from the marketing side more than the biology side because I think that that's the way I look at it. Is this is not a problem with animals. 
You're not going to solve. You're not going to get a guy that kill that's terrified of snakes to stop being terrified of snakes because they learn about them. That is a component of it. Educating people sure. is a very important component of it, and ultimately, that's the thing that makes the difference as a culture. But the you have to the fear is a real thing, and um, yeah, uh, you, you can't you have to validate their concerns. They can't, you, you can't just blow them. You have to know why they don't like it. Yeah. Um, a really valuable experience to me that I had that I, I draw from quite a bit is the first time I, I herped in Costa Rica. I you know spent a lot of time on these little jungle trails by myself. And I read a lot about how, you know, a jaguar attack is not a thing to worry about. It's not something that's going to happen to you. It's so remote and rare. But every sound that happened, oh, here it comes. Here's the end, you know. And that disconnect of how I felt about it and, and the, the knowledge that I have, even being very reasonable and rational about it, like that's a, that's a very important thing to realize to where someone, yeah. it's not going to help me if I had someone standing right next to me, giving me Jaguar facts. The only thing that made it better was to go out there and, and be in places like this and, okay, there's nothing to worry about. Right. It's fine. And I have to confess, I, um, I have been out here on trails at night by myself. Yep. And uh, the jaguar comes creeping into your brain, you know. <laughs> it does. It does. The later Where it gets, the, jaguars? The, the, the more your yeah. coffee is worn off and, and, and the, the jaguars uh, start to emerge from the shadows. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, one time where there's a, a section of mud on the trail and there's this really mm-hmm. nice, big, giant jaguar footprint. Starts right all over again. <laughs> Hair on the back of my yeah. neck goes up. And those are, I think anyone that has that experience should, you know, when you're, if you're doing, you know, Online, everyone's trying to get people, you know, talking to people about snakes and trying to educate them. But that's a very important part of it is education only, you know. And there's there's other stuff, too, that, you know, if, if some people get other types of benefits from killing snakes, um, there's you can be seen as a courageous person or a tough person or a knowledgeable person sure. or the and outdoorsy we, we, guy. We all know those memes, right? I, we do. Um, I, I just got to protect my family and, yeah, yeah. you know. And that has, doesn't have anything to do with snakes either. That's about no. that person validating who they think they are. Sure. You know, so you can, you can very effectively work on that by giving them a better story. You know, hey, it's so cool. You live in Arizona with all this snakes. I bet you really love that. And people, yeah, they'll nod through it, you know, yeah, and then, you, then you open the door, you know. Yeah. They're all of a sudden they're thinking about it from a different angle. Yeah. Know? Well, how does this benefit me socially? And that's right. really what, why anyone does anything. That marketing stuff is powerful, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. It is really good. And then they're open to learn, you know. So yeah. And, and on same note, though, I, I got to give props to all those unsung heroes out there that pack up all their critters <laughs> yeah. get in her car and then drive to the grade school yep and give the kids you know an hour and by the time they get home they're exhausted and their car smells like snake poop but yep. they they do the the good groundwork and some of them get paid for it yeah and well, uh, some of them don't so i remember um, when i was a kid i saw a mountain king snake on a table at a, a science center in, in arizona and i always remember that snake and that's yeah, when yeah. you're a kid, they're not scared of snakes, and that gives them a chance. I love that. You know, yeah, yeah. we do. We do a lot of that kind of. We have we have a one of every rattlesnake in Arizona. So that's right when I get back from this. That's what I'm doing the next day, is um, I'm giving a presentation of rattlesnakes in a conference room um, at a big building full of realtors. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm trying All to get right. out of the nature centers <laughs> and do more HOAs, things like that, because if you you know, I've noticed a difference in the crowds. If you if you're talking to people on a Saturday at noon, they already are invested in learning. They're interested in it. They're willing to give up a Saturday to learn something. It's a different crowd than 
when I talk to a homeowners association on a Tuesday night and the topic is how to keep your family safe around rattlesnakes. I get a lot better response and better questions there because they can get there after work. They don't have, to, it's not a choice between a fun Saturday activity and learning. Yeah. It's, Hey, there's this thing after work. Do you and it might go? affect my bottom line, right? If I, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's that too. I mean, education is a good, um, if you do it because properly, they're, they're you know, one. you know, realtors get those questions, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we, um, so there's a realtor, her name's Paige. She actually does, um, some relocations with us and oh. she started doing them. That's, that's, that's great when she's in her, uh, like, Realtor clothes, and she's out there catching a snake. And <laughs> but there's some Here's other ones. I uh, started talking to more, and it turns out that let's say there's people moving from Canada to Phoenix, which happens constantly. If you're a realtor that can meaningfully answer questions about snakes in the area, that can make or break a sale on a house. So it's a yes. big deal, and it's an untapped market if you're a realtor so that's kind of what we're going for is to hey yeah. if you hear some basic facts about snakes here's how to answer those things so you can go ahead and sell that house without lying to the person um, and they feel okay about it yeah you know and it yeah they're the first point of contact with homeowners so they're the people to right. really work with so i mean you know what a way to boost your own credibility by giving honest answers yeah yeah so. people don't forget that you know if yeah. you're a realtor or a mechanic yeah. Or a doctor. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You no BS, then you, you have a person for life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's All right. Thank you to talk to you uh, in our little hut here. And uh, <laughs> Very glad you're and, doing this, uh, Mike. We're going to go out and take some photographs of critters and maybe drink a beer or two. Crawl in my mosquito net for a while. I'll <laughs> take a nap. <laughs> okay. Well, you've earned it. So. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much. That is it for episode four. I want to thank my guest, Brian Hughes, for talking with me on a hot and sweaty afternoon in the rainforest instead of having a nap or taking a cool shower. And thanks again, Brian, for your help back when the show was still in the incubation process. Be sure to see the show notes for the link to Rattlesnake Solutions. And of course, you can follow them on Facebook. And don't forget to check out their cool t-shirts. And hey, everyone, thanks for the great suggestions for merchandise and show episodes. I really appreciate it, and please keep them coming. Just a couple things before I go. You can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at SoMuchPingle.com. And you can join the So Much Pingle Facebook group. You can also email me directly at SoMuchPingle at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, please take care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better. <laughs>